0: Well, that's Paranormal a little better. Yeah. Nothing major happened. Well, that's You're a little better. That's the bottom. See Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of March 22nd, 2022. That's a lot of twos. Uh, but luckily, it's episode 509 instead of 222. So yes, 509. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And it reminds me, I was just thinking... um, Yes, March 22nd, 2022 here on Tuesday. It's kind of like that February 22nd, Tuesday. Not quite, but pretty close, I think. Uh, 322.22 on Tuesday. Is this Tuesday Part 2? Well, we actually have a story about Tuesday Part 2. Lots of other stuff here. Uh, We're going to go around the world, as always. Uh, We got some stuff we'll kick off in South Carolina. We've got a lot of, uh, well, I guess, gambling kind of stuff. It's kind of weird, uh, just uh, jackpots, and we've got odds, and two separate stories tonight. And We're we'll going to do a little bit of reading at a library, and we're going to spend some time in Scotland, but not with the Loch Ness Monster. Probably happy to hear that. Uh, but uh, reading my, my intro, it reminded me, somebody asked me, uh, I was a question emailed to me, I, I guess they're... Not really paying too much attention. That's okay, though. Somebody asked me, well, I don't understand how, how your number systems work. You say it's episode five. I think it was like 506 or five or something that I, I read off uh, weeks ago. And they said, is that your fifth season, your fifth episode or whatever it was? Uh, no, this is the 509th show that I've done since way back in September of 2008, And, you know, we've covered this uh, a few times over the years, but, you know, some people are are jumping on the Paranormal News Insider bandwagon. That's okay. So, yeah, historically, uh, I decided to start out with episode one and just continued to go that way. And I guess I could have numbered it differently. But back when I started, this was a monthly show. And for two years, we did monthly. I wasn't sure. I guess if I had to do it over again, maybe I would do seasons Uh, But you don't know how many shows you're going to do. Anyway, yes, March 22nd, 2022 on Tuesday. And last Sunday, so a couple days ago, it's officially spring. It's on uh, March, I guess it was the 20th. Yes, the first day of spring. And, of course, here in Northeast Ohio, we know we're going to get at least one if not two more snowstorms uh to come but uh that's just what we get for living in this part of the uh the world and you know the whole midwest and northeast we all know it's coming we're all going to get some snow but that's uh very positive got to start planting some stuff indoors to get ready for uh transplant for late april start growing some plants not those kind of plants sunflowers and such and um can't wait. It uh, seems like it's been a long, cold winter, to uh, quote Cinderella, hair rock band. Um, but let's kick it off. We're going to go down to South Carolina. For it uh, Sounds good right now. A little vacation, a little time away. Uh, South Carolina sounds nice. Maybe I'll go there. I don't know. We'll see what uh, my next vacation brings. We'll see in next month. Sounds good. Maybe South Carolina. That does sound good. Anyway, cryptid news this week. Uh, We'll kick it off with uh, a story that happened last Tuesday. Uh, The Calhoun County Sheriff's Department in South Carolina issued a warning to residents of the 400 block of Valley Ridge Road that a, a large cat had been seen. And the sheriff was quoted to say, uh, to use extreme caution in the area, if uh, you are to see this, uh, call 911. Don't interact and, uh, you know, don't leave it to the experts, basically. If you see this, uh, this creature, so, you know, don't, uh, don't go after it. Um, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. So leave it alone. And so a little bit of panic in the area. Now, reading these stories, it says the area is is said to be near Interstate 26 over uh, an overpass. But according to the address, it's the 400 block. uh, That would put it near Highway 21 and Valley Ridge Road in Swansea, South Carolina, which is a 20-minute drive southeast of Columbia, South Carolina, and an hour-and-a-half drive northwest of Charleston, which is, of course, on the coast, probably one of the most— Popular destinations of South Carolina uh, Myrtle Beach is up there too That's a little north of there uh, Initially, there was no information on what was seen And of course, it seems like every single story we talk about uh, Is started or is uh, perpetuated by social media, of course And uh, this all started on a Facebook post by the department and of course, anytime you uh, talk about a, uh, a large cat in especially South Carolina, anywhere in the South at all, you, you already know. And when I clicked on the story and they said it was on Facebook, I kind of chuckled to myself because I already knew there was going to be that guy or those people that were going to say it's probably a Black Panther. And of course, I wasn't I wasn't disappointed uh, as soon as I looked at the comments on the Facebook post, uh, there was a number of people commenting with their, of course, their personal stories. And it's got to be true because my neighbor's brother, sister's cousin's uncle, ex-girlfriend said they saw a Black Panther. So, of course, it has to be true. And uh, a lot of firsthand accounts as well. People swearing up and down. They did see a Black Panther in the area. And, of course, you know, it's it's well known. It's a very deep part of the local folklore I uh, can look at the uh, uh, the football team down there, the Carolina Panthers. They use a uh, a black panther as their logo. So of course, you know the South, and how many schools down there have panther as their high school nickname? Uh, it's just part of the local folklore. Uh, however, Chief Deputy Matt Tretham told the uh, state newspaper that uh, it's called the state. So it is the state. It's, it's a newspaper uh, that people had reported, not a black panther, but a tiger. That's very specific. Uh, obviously, a tiger is not going to be misinterpreted uh, for a black panther. It's a completely different animal. So it's obviously the orange and black stripes, not going to be a house cat. Uh, your typical house cats don't look like that. So that. To me was a uh, really interesting uh, comment. Uh, He also commented that there are no reports of missing exotic animals. And there are no animal habitats in the area. Which is confusing. But that's not the first time that we would have heard that. Uh, The cat was seen in a wooded area. And its size was described as quote. Substantial. Unquote. Uh, So of course I was. Uh, I didn't see the story until a few days later and was really, really curious about this. And, of course, if a a tiger goes missing, probably if the person has it, strangely enough, a lot of people don't report these things. And I've I've seen these. I've read these accounts. Usually nobody says anything, and then all of a sudden it gets found out later on. And sometimes the authorities do know this, but they don't comment on it or they – They don't really relay that information to the general public for whatever reason, Uh, maybe to to not cause undue panic. But then they usually jump to a big conclusion anyway about a dangerous animal. Uh, The Lexington County Sheriff's Department, in addition to the Calhoun County deputies, were searching for the cat as well as the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. And the DNR down there was using an airplane And Lexington County authorities were using drones to try to find this large cat. Uh, Sarah Alexander, Lexington County Sheriff's Department spokesperson, told the state newspaper, quote, We are working with DNR and the Calhoun County Sheriff's Office to determine the accuracy of the sightings and a possible location of the cats. At this time, we cannot verify any big cats are loose. We are following up on all reports, but nothing has been verified. It's an ongoing investigation, unquote. And what's odd about that comment, and uh, I try to emphasize the S, uh, she, uh, despite the report initially of a lone cat, she used plural cats twice in the interview. And while no one from the department saw a cat, uh, or a, uh, any type of, uh, of evidence or signs of a cat, a, a, uh, a paw print that could be from a large cat had been found. Uh, no word on uh, if it was validated or not. They just said that it could be from a large cat. It could be a, a dog, too. People don't usually know how to read those tracks very well. Uh, the search for the cat was suspended late Tuesday evening, well, of course, last week, as no confirmed sightings were reported since the earlier ones, uh, reports resurfaced that evening that multiple <clears throat> multiple reports had been given in another area uh, known as Horses Neck Road. It's kind of a weird name to uh, name your road. Horses Neck Road, which is about five miles away as the crow flies, uh, which is interesting because uh, Tiger's Generally aren't going to sit still They're not going to stay In an area, they're not like a deer If it does escape uh, Sometimes, it depends on If they're Used to being caged up, which obviously Tigers don't live in the United States So it's probably used to being Caged up, it's going to stay in the area Uh, may wander around quite a bit But they generally resurface in the area That they were seen And it's weird to me that they would give up Just a few hours later um, that, uh, you know, a setting like this, you, you would think, uh, you know, tigers are generally, they're more active at night, not during the day, believe it or not. And, um, uh, I mean, well, they're more crepuscular, so they're going to be active in the evenings and the mornings. So I would think, you know, I kind of hold out giving up on this thing so quick, but it makes you wonder what they found. They don't really talk about it. And... Uh, Who knows what's going on with this thing. But uh, five miles away, it was seen again. Uh, Game wardens and the DNR biological staff assisted in the search, but were unable to find any other signs of the presence of a large cat. And despite no signs since then or reports, of course, like I mentioned, the social media rumor mill has not stopped circulating. And it makes you wonder, too, If, you know, once you put this on Facebook, if other people just threw their own personal stories in and misconstrued with uh, what's going on currently, there had been multiple reports of a large cat. And on the Facebook post, there was a comment that said multiple tigers had been sighted. But, uh, you know, nothing to validate it. Again, the rumors also persist that this was a mountain lion or a black panther. That was seen in the area. One person commented that a black panther is another name for a mountain lion. And it took everything in my uh, strength not to um, reply to that. I didn't want to get involved in an argument, uh, but that's not true. Black panthers, uh, a black panther or plant panther period is a, a name uh, from the cat subfamily that includes mountain lions or cougars, you know, just panther itself. Uh, But pumas, cougar, mountain lion, there's uh, literally a hundred other names for these creatures. Since they're found uh, in probably the widest expanse area of any cat in the world, all the way from uh, Canada down to the tip of South America and everywhere in between. Uh, So they have a a large area that they roam. And, of course, local names for these cats uh, come up. But uh, puma... Concolor is the official name, so puma comes from that. We call them mountain lions in uh, most of the United States. Um, and, of course, we also have in the Americas, we have jaguars, not just the cars, but the animals, which are found in Central and South America. And you also have leopards of Africa and Asia, which are also considered in the panthera uh, cat subfamily. However, when you're talking about black panthers, uh, sometimes people group all those cats together, uh, but the black panther refers to the melanistic variant of leopards and jaguars. So pure black, not a, a partial black. Uh, there's other names for that, just like um, albinism is a white animal and uh, piebald is, a, is another name for it. a partially Albino animal. Uh, But black panthers are the melanistic variant of leopards or jaguars. That's it. Leopards or jaguars, not lions, not tigers, and not mountain lions. Uh, Black jaguars and leopards are actually very rare in the wild. And I believe that's, um, I can't remember the percentage, but both of them are right around 10% or less. That happened actually in the wild. I believe jaguars are like 7% and leopards are about 10 to 12% depending upon what data you're looking at. And again, very rare in the wild. Generally bred in captivity, which is where people are familiar with seeing them. Obviously way more in the wild because they look cooler. And that's the cat that uh, zoos want. And private breeders want those as well because they they just look cool. And uh, people are able to identify Black Panthers due to their obvious all-black look. They're big cats. But uh, if you've ever seen one, I've been fortunate to see a few, not in the wild, unfortunately, but in zoos and other captive areas. They, you can see their, their markings on their fur. So the rosettes are visible. Uh, but most people probably couldn't tell a jaguar from a leopard if they saw them together, Black Panther or not, these are normal tawny colors. Uh, most people can't really tell them apart. So a leopard looks more like a cheetah. A little skinnier, uh, skinny heads. Uh, jaguar is a bit stockier, more muscular. It's got a more round head to it. That's the easiest, quickest way to, to spot the difference. Uh, jaguar has more um, – it's uh, – Detailed on the rosettes, so the markings are a little bit bigger. They're they're darker, uh, more dynamic than the leopards as well. And mountain lions, despite all the social media expert eyewitnesses out there and the claims to see black mountain lions in every corner, every state uh, of the world, they've never been documented by science to have a melanistic phase, and have never been documented in the wild or in captivity. They in a melanistic phase. Now, uh, they do have, if you've ever seen a mountain lion up close, which again, I've been fortunate to see a few in zoos that are fairly close, uh, they do have black hair on them. Uh, so they're not devoid of black hair. It's just part of their ability to blend in, their camouflage, if you will, with their uh, tawny color. And some, if you go to uh, Florida, which is, again, kind of confusing because they call the Florida mountain lions, they call those Florida panthers, and the Florida panther, a lot of them have a a grayish color to them, probably as dark, as close as you're going to get to melanism as possible, and of course, uh, if you know anything about melanism, uh, leopards and jaguars, this tends to happen in jungle or mountainous areas, so areas that are already dark so that they can blend in. Uh, a little bit better than being a bright-colored animal in a dark environment. Uh, the bobcat, which is, uh, again, another animal that's mistaken for a large cat all over the place. Uh, bobcat is is called a bobcat because it's got a bob tail, a very short tail, a very stubby little tail. It's uh, one of the easiest ways to uh, discern it from a mountain lion because they're often confused for each other. Uh, there's a lot of other traits that you can— uh, distinguish a bobcat from a mountain lion from their ears to their face. Uh, but their tail is the, the telltale difference. Um, it's also been documented to appear in a melanistic phase, So they've actually found black bobcats before, but uh, extremely rare. And I believe all of those were exclusively in uh, Florida. In thicker wooded areas of Florida, maybe uh, I think there was one in South Georgia, and um, back to the uh, the South Carolina case here. Uh, there were some reports, uh, actually, early on, which is kind of of concern that maybe this just got out of control, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of. Uh, when people post things on social media, especially like this, uh, a panicky situation, people tend to let their imaginations run as well as their personal perspective and their subjective nature of, of how we react to these things. Uh, initial reports were received of a brindle-colored dog on the loose. So misidentification may have likely played a part in the initial sightings, and fear and excitement may have led to the arrest of all this. So May not have actually been tigers at all. Maybe they figured that out and uh, just kind of pulled the plug on all of this. Uh, but things get out of control very quick. Yes, and if you do see a well, if you see a tiger running down your street or hanging out on your lawn, which we've uh, heard that uh, Houston had that incident. I, I think that was last year. We've well, Houston's had a couple of uh, tiger reports. Call nine one one. Don't call animal control. Uh, they tend to take a while to get there. And if you do call nine one one. They channel the call to the appropriate, uh, the appropriate people. Anyway, And it sends uh, a high alert out there to everybody. So yeah, call nine one one in the United States for an emergency such as that. Uh, because especially if somebody could be in danger, a large animal like that. Not used to being out. Uh, You know, maybe they are uh, used to being in captivity. So they are a little bit more uh, tame than one would be out in the wild. Even a a tiger in the wild necessarily isn't going to kill you. But if you make the wrong move, you run away. you freak out. Uh, Maybe you throw a steak at it, thinking that, well, here, I'll give it some food. Um, Probably not the smartest thing to do. And uh, sometimes we react the wrong way, and it could cause the animals to uh, react negatively anyway. So calling the authorities uh, the smartest thing you can do quickly. Yeah. Snowpitting day. Yeah, I was there 2007 Cleveland Indians. Yes, I can still call them the Cleveland Indians back then. They were, I was there 2007 against Seattle sitting in the snow for like 10 hours. And thanks to, uh, Was that Eric Wedge, I believe, former manager for the Indians? He called the game, one of the game calls. So it was uh, one out of way, one strike from being a complete, or I should say an official game, halfway through the game. Well, I was freezing that night. Anyway, UFO news. So you're missing out on all these wonderful conversations in the chat room if you're not listening live in the chat room. I do highly recommend it. Great group of people hanging out in there. Uh, talking about this and other topics. Sometimes I get uh, distracted, but that's okay. That's okay. I, I have no problem with other conversations going on. That's that's what it's for. That's what it's all about. Uh, UFO news. We've got a lot of stuff in UFO news. Seems like it's uh, something is going to happen. I, I don't know. I don't like to predict things, but I just feel like there's something big about to happen. Whether it's a, a sighting or some sort of release Uh, I I would think that uh, there's going to be, and I'll say it now, uh, a leaked video coming within the next few weeks. That's going to uh, be more interesting than the, uh, what, three that we've seen so far? Just kind of predicting that. I haven't heard anything, but that's my prediction. And if that's not good enough, disclosure, that's, that's the big word. In the UFO arena. Disclosure. It might be around the corner. It might be happening. That's right. It might be all over. Yes, all the secrets of the government's knowledge of UFOs. Might finally be revealed. That's right. Well, sort of. Uh, this is according to the Black Vault's John Greenwald Jr. Who says that the Obama Presidential Library... Contacted him to let him know. Hey, John, just so you know, uh, there's thousands of files on hand at this library that's currently under construction. Well, of course, it didn't quite happen that way. Uh, Greenwald frequently uses, uh, infer- he gets uh, information, he releases information that he gets, I should say it that way, by using the Freedom of Information Act to request specific files of information from government records. And, you know, then he makes these great stories, have his podcasts, and stretches the information out to make it uh, bigger than what it really is. And, uh, of course, everyone jumps on these stories. But it's still good to, to see that some of this information can get pulled out of government storage and released to the general public. Uh, he stated he filed uh, an FOIA request for records communications, photos, and videos concerning several government programs on unidentified flying objects or aerial phenomena. Uh, The request was received on January 23rd of this year. That's an important date that we'll talk about at the end of the story. So January 23rd, and the response to John Greenwald Jr. came on March 10th with the library stating It has approximately 3,440 pages and 26,271 electronic files that are responsive to his request. Uh, The bad news is that according to the letter, Greenwald might have to wait a little bit for his records as the staff is currently processing and reviewing Freedom of Information Act requests that precede his uh, they state they have uh, placed requests request in their complex, unclassified electronic queue by the date it was received in their office. And there was a follow-up letter. If you go to theblackvault.com, uh, uh, the original story. So everybody uh, from Newsweek to CNN, everybody's uh, putting the story out there, but they're not giving you all the information or all the uh, the photos that uh, Greenwald has accompanied with, uh, I believe he relies on Twitter more than Facebook. And uh, a follow up letter was received. Uh, he sent out a follow up when he got one, sent one out right away. Uh, it shows that his request would be completed uh, essentially to summarize two paragraphs basically, it would be completed in anywhere between 12 and 16 years. Due to the requests ahead of his, uh, he states he asked the library to arrange an on site visit to review unclassified material, but it was not granted. 12 to 16 years. Well, don't know if I'll be doing the show in a dozen years from now. Um, so I don't know if I'll ever break that story. Uh, the Barack Obama Presidential Library, I remember when they were talking about this years ago. Uh, just began construction in August of 2021, and it's going to be the first fully digitized presidential library, which is confusing. You think about it, it's a fully digitized library. So it's not like they have, uh, you know, you always think of Freedom of Information Act and, and people going through these uh, archives. You always think of, like, the end of Indiana Jones, which... Uh, it was all CGI, by the way, that wasn't a real warehouse. Um, you think of that giant warehouse with stacks of crates and uh, rows of books and uh, stuff that they have to try to figure out where it's at. I mean, 12 to 16 years? Let me loosen there. I'll, I'll find them pretty quick. I mean, it won't take me long. Not 16 years. Good grief. It's crazy. What, did they just throw it in a big pile? I don't, I don't get it. How, how would it take you? It, he was only in. Wasn't in office that long. I don't get it. Couldn't have written that many papers. Couldn't have that much information. Uh, anyway, the site selected from a list of four candidate sites. Was the University of Chicago, which, of course, uh, he has a little bit to do with. Uh, according to an article in the Chicago Tribune in 2017. The papers and artifacts from the Obama administration are being stored and processed inside a facility in suburban Hoffman Estates, which is northwest of Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Uh, The records are to be digitized and stored in an existing National Archives and Records Administration facility. Um, So once they're digitized, I mean, how big does that library have to be if everything's on computers? Really, it could just be like a phone booth. Pretty, well, it had to be a little bit bigger, I guess, for servers and things, but um, I don't know. Big as it got to be. Uh, I've seen the George Bush Library in, in Texas. It's pretty big, it's got books. Uh, according to the About Us page, uh, maybe John Greenwald should have read this uh, first. Uh, the library um, records. When this was first uh, put being put together, uh, I think they announced in 2015 that they were selecting a site. The site was finalized in 2016, according to this page, and of course they broke ground last August. Uh, however, the records were not subject to the Freedom of Information Act until January 20th of this year, as part of the 1978 Presidential Records Act. So it looks like uh, Greenwald was a little bit late on that. Three days, which is weird. Like, did he forget to put it in the mail? And he wouldn't have had to have filed that anyway. And He'd just done it a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, he'd, actually, he'd be way ahead in, in line. Maybe he could have got this in, in 10 years instead of 12. Uh, well, who knows? Uh, sounds like he's being stonewalled anyway. But... Uh, the National Archives, it's not their fault, I guess. Uh, he's going to have to wait as the uh, records are currently being digitized. And who knows how long that's going to take. And then, of course, they have to sift through it. And if anything is found, uh, it actually has to go through a, uh, a vetting. So it has to be uh, basically the, uh, whatever's left of the Obama administration in 10 to 15 years has to be notified that this information is going out. They have to approve it. There's, it's just really weird about the steps involved. They must have some, like, 80-year-old guy that, that looks up all this stuff. It's probably the janitor that has to do all this work. That's why it takes so long, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they don't have a huge staff, but good grief. Records and documents you think would be very important. And um, I don't know. I've always found it strange. You, you hear these stories... And you, you always see these uh, archive or these archive uh, staff give out these statistics on the records available, which is pretty mind blowing. When you hear about um, you know uh, three thousand four hundred forty pages and twenty six thousand two hundred and seventy one electronic files on this, they can pull that data that fast and t- quick turnaround time to send out a letter. Uh, But they don't have the staff to retrieve those records. And one would think that once everything is digitized, uh, wouldn't it just be a couple of keystrokes? You know, a download. And we've seen this before. There was uh, a few years ago. There was uh, the FBI had files that you could download from uh, the FBI database about UFOs. I was worried to do that because I thought they were tracking me. But why not? Why couldn't there be? You know, even a paywall. Attached to that. And you can just pay for the Freedom of Information Act request. And uh, there's your files. So I'll be redacted anyway, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, if you uh, want to check out the Obama Library, you can go to obamalibrary.gov. You can read all about it. But, uh, probably, probably not going to visit that. Not going to lie. I love libraries. But... Um, I'll stick with the books. Stick with the books. And we're going to go from well, we went to South Carolina, we went to Chicago. Now we're going to go across the pond to uh, Scotland. And probably one of the most controversial names in Scotland, Edinburgh, it's, uh, spelled Edinburgh, but uh, it's, it's I guess it depends on who you ask, how to pronounce it. So I just say Edinburgh. Uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. So Saturday night, this last weekend, uh, there's a little bit of a scare. Uh, Residents uh, leaned on, of course, social media for answers pertaining to a strange sighting in the skies over this hilly city. Uh, People were reporting large orb-shaped clouds that were floating silently still in the sky over the city That uh, look like giant UFOs invading the United Kingdom. But uh, rest assured, it didn't take too long for the Met Office, which is short for the Metro, sorry, Meteorological Office. Which is a mouthful, I guess. That's why they call it the Met Office. uh, Which is the National uh, Weather Service Bureau for the United Kingdom. So they don't have the weather channel there, I guess. They've got the uh, Met Office. And they reported that the clouds, these were clouds that were in uh, in the sky and caused by the hilly areas, and they were in fact lenticular clouds. So, UFO fanatics' favorite type of cloud. Uh, these clouds form under very specific conditions of rising air, which cools and condenses after flowing over a large structure, of course, like a mountain or a hilly area, and then sinking. And we do have a picture of one of these that was taken near Edinburgh, Scotland. And it's you don't see them too often out there, but usually uh, they happen quite a bit out in uh, well, the West Coast here in the United States. Uh, Washington uh, is one I think I've seen the most stories about. They're pretty used to them out there. So there's a shot of this large, scary-looking cloud hanging in the sky—I believe that's the moon behind it. Some light, I should say, lens flares in the picture as well look like UFOs, but they're not. It's just—it's just, it's just uh, lens flare from the lights that you see in the photograph. Um, which I'm surprised nobody talked about those, but uh, that area, Edinburgh, Scotland. So Saturday they got through that. Like, okay, we're not in being invaded. No UFOs. We can rest easy. That chilly air blowing down. Uh, But. This last story. Again. Fairly easily explainable. But Sunday night. The following night. This weekend. This last weekend. uh, Another strange event happened in the skies. Locals were again confused and concerned. When they saw strange lights coming from an area. Known as the Pentland Hills. And it looked like, again, UFOs in the skies. Uh, but uh, a strange aura of lights seemed to hang low in the skies that uh, really seemed to define an explanation. People that were looking at these lights could not figure out what was going on low in the sky. Uh, Asia Ruth took video of the strange event and was, and, uh, was contacted by Edinburgh Live. To share the footage that she had posted, of course, to Facebook. And I uh, got a picture of that as well. That uh, she took uh, a frame from a video she took vertical. And so it's a little small, but you'll see it. You click on it in the chat room. It'll make it a little bit bigger. And uh, It's just lights in the sky. that just seem like they're hanging low over the rooftops. Uh, don't remember how high up she was, uh, but she, uh, in her interview, she said, quote, we saw it from near Granton area. We live in one of the top floor appointments. So can see the Pentlands quite clearly at first when I looked out. As I was just about to put the room blinds down, I seen all the lights in that sort of V shape. I thought it was a UFO. I ran a call to call my husband. When then we looked closer, we realized that's where the Pentlands start from. And I tried to Google what was going on, but didn't find anything. I have never seen anything like that before. Living high up, I do see some peculiar things in the sky, but nothing like that. It looked beautiful and mesmerizing. Unquote. So, what were the lights in the sky again? Remember. I mentioned in the last story, it's a very hilly area. And of course, it's got to be hilly to create lenticular clouds. So that uh, little bit of a hint there. Do you think that if you're used to looking out your window and of course, she she did kind of uh, make mention to this, that she realized that uh, it's where the Pentlands start, which is the uh, hills outside this area. Uh, so it wasn't really in the sky. So what were these strange lights? Well, it all goes back to what I mentioned before, February twenty-second, two twenty-two, or twenty-two two, I guess if you're in the United Kingdom, they do it all backwards. Today was twenty-two three, twenty-two, I guess. Weird. Anyway, uh, you might remember this was uh, Tuesday. 222 or 222, however you say it, on Tuesday. There was supposed to be a night run in the area held by Carnethy Hill Running Club. Uh, back on that date, up in those hills. Uh, but due to bad weather, the event was postponed. The event was rescheduled for this last Sunday, March 20th, as it was the spring equinox. And... Uh, called Tuesday Two, so hashtag Tuesday Two T W O S D A Y Two, uh, even though it took place on a Sunday, which I, I guess that's why people are so confused about what was going on, and probably wasn't probably wasn't pushed by the media or anybody. It was uh, it seemed like it was just kind of Haphazardly put together, and reading the event website is really confusing. I, I still don't understand the whole thing behind it, what they were doing and why they were doing it. I was just confused all the way around with with everything that they were putting on there. The uh, what they had hoped to do was get as many people on a ridge as possible using torches. And when I read the word torches, I think of a uh, you know a piece of wood wrapped in A rag dipped in oil and lit on fire. That's a torch to me. I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe I'm just old school. But, uh, of course, a torch in the United Kingdom is a flashlight. And uh, so they were looking for as many people as possible to have, uh, they call them head torches, which is really scary to think about. But like headlamps or uh, bike torches. Kind of weird to ride with a torch on your bike Uh, But yes uh, As many lights as possible So lighting up the hill Lighting up the trail uh, Along a certain Pre-specified area of this trail And it was strange too Again I don't understand why But they were saying uh, From 8.03 to 8.13pm For whatever reason They wanted to light up the area During that short period of time But uh, you know, thinking about it The obvious thing here is that when you're in the woods, it's always a little bit darker than the ambient area. So I'm sure people are using the lights to get up the hill as well as go down the hill. That's why the lights are kind of spread out all over the place. But there's a, a large concentration near the, the summit of that hill, it looks like. Uh, but i like to get a picture to see during the day as well to see what that uh, hill looks like. Um, yeah, I don't really understand the whole meaning behind the torchlight thing, but uh, it looked like fun. I, I wish they had pictures of people up there doing it, but I haven't seen any. Not that I look that hard, but it's just a weird event. And, of course, it caused a little bit of panic in the streets below. But uh, I guess you'll have that no matter what, especially with uh, social media. I think we're learning that a lot with the show, if, if not tonight. Uh, Every week, it seems like we talk about stories that get a little out of control because of social media. But sometimes social media does come in handy. People are able to find out what's going on. Of course, in this last story, she did use Google but was unable to find any information, which is weird because I found it like right away when I used Google. I don't know. I'm over here in Ohio. Anyway, moving on. Our last story of the night, and it comes from the weirdest place you would expect a paranormal news story to come. And if you've listened to the show off and on for the last, uh, I don't know, 10 plus years, we've talked about the MUFON Sighting Statistics Mutual UFO Network, the uh, largest worldwide organization that tracks and investigates UFO reports Since I was just thinking about it I don't think I've gotten the February reports yet Should have been out I don't think we talked about it yet Did we? Maybe we did I don't remember Anyway So we've also mentioned The National UFO Reporting Center Statistics Probably the smallest UFO organization in the world It's two people Basically Uh, the, uh, The owner of it and the uh, webmaster of the website that keeps track of all the emails coming in. And, and it's funny because it seems like the new fork, National UFO Reporting Center, gets more press than MUFON, about, especially about the sighting statistics that they gather. Um, I mean, every now and again, we also get a similar story to the one I'm providing this introduction for, uh, talking about where the best place to see UFOs and and the story again comes from a weird spot weird place and every now and again you do have a uh, kind of off-the-wall website that decides hey you know what we want to get some people to click on our website so we're going to write a paranormal story because we know there's actually people out there that are crazy enough to have an entire podcast to talk about paranormal stories And, of course, this is one of them. And, you know, obviously the paranormal sells a lot of stories online. We talk about it every week. Uh, Somebody sees a shadow in Loch Ness, and it's carried by 10 newspapers that uh, sells that story to everybody else. And it becomes a worldwide phenomena for a small school of fish. Uh, Anyway, Great Lakes Stakes. And it's not se. I'm sorry, S-T-E-A-K-S. Yeah, it's uh, actually S-T-A-K-E-S. So Great Lakes Stakes. Of course, if I just explained it, you would understand how it's spelled. It's uh, basically a gambler news website, which I didn't know they did that, uh, for casino, poker, and sports betting news based in Michigan. Of course, they take the Great Lakes, which is kind of where I'm at. Uh, They provided an interesting story, Back in late February And I kind of sidestepped it I kind of put it in the back burner To talk about here Uh, I actually hadn't read it I just figured it was like all the rest But uh, when I finally clicked on it last week uh, It was kind of interesting Because they actually do Take a a different angle on this Than any other similar story I've seen Which is it was actually kind of cool So I figured I'd try to wedge it in In the next few weeks here Um it's still getting a lot of attention. I still see it popping up on my uh, daily news recaps of the various topics that I follow for the show. And it talks about, of course, it's a gambling website. Gamble responsibly. If you feel that you have a uh, problem, I'm sure there's a website or a phone number you can call. I sh- yeah, we should gamble on what are the odds that uh, finding Bigfoot will ever find Bigfoot. I don't think it's very good. Uh, Anyway, uh, they're talking about your best and worst odds for not only encountering a UFO in each state, but also the best and worst places to encounter ghosts. Then they put it all together to talk about your overall odds of seeing the supernatural, which really should be the paranormal. And if you want to watch Supernatural, I believe that's on Netflix. All 15 seasons, I believe, are on there. Anyway, that's joking. But Supernatural uh, is a little different than the uh, the paranormal, but uh, that's okay. They don't know; they're not experts. They're they're gambling experts. Uh, so let me throw. They have a, a couple of, of little maps where they have a map and then they have a listing. I'm just going to post a map here in the chat room so you can see. That's pretty cool. Shows your odds in each state, and of course, I'm a numbers person. I like numbers. So I was looking at this, and I saw some patterns that were a little bit concerned. Some I couldn't figure out. Uh, so, of course, I read the story. And the uh, course, well, I mentioned uh, the National UFO Reporting Center. So they get getting their UFO data from New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center. And Ghosts of America for the ghost data. I'd never heard of Ghosts of America Websites before, but uh, didn't take me too long to figure out what they were all about when I clicked on the website. Uh, both of the websites collect data from the general public. And so the reports are pretty much based on integrity. We have to trust what they say. Uh, many of the UFO sightings have logical solutions. And of course, a lot of these reports are multiple reports of the same thing, such as a rocket launch, which are seen in... Like Florida and California a lot, so I would expect that to adjust to those two areas, and of course a lot of the southern states as well. They see these rock launches, and of course on the yeah. coast as well, you see them. So, it's trying to figure out what was affecting these numbers or where they're really getting these numbers. I mean, how do you how do you do odds on ghost sightings? Thought it was weird. So they're just taking the. I guess they're just taking the reports from this ghost website, but uh, this Ghost of America website is the front page is pretty much just a collection of photographs of orbs and light streaks that people are calling ghosts. Uh, It's just a lot of photographs that are misinterpretations of normal phenomena that they're just stating are ghosts, really jumping to conclusions. And uh, then the fun part is clicking on the stories. Some interesting stories, and I clicked on Ohio here to read through some of these. And it seems like the same people are, uh, are uploading in the same areas over and over and over again. And it's a lot of he said, she said kind of stuff. Uh, some of these are firsthand accounts, but you don't really know if these are stories or they're actual accounts, actual things that people see in there, or they're just telling it in a way. That sounds like it happened to them. It's really confusing. So maybe this is why no one else has done this before. I'm a little overwhelmed reading all these things. Uh, They're very subjective. And they're individualized. Uh, But I guess uh, so are the UFO reports. And there's really no corroboration with anything. But um, still interesting. You can't take it completely serious, I suppose. Uh, But looking at these two, uh, basically they... They kind of narrow it down to where are you most likely to see a UFO, and they state with uh, an incredible fifteen thousand seventy-two sightings in California. That makes it the UFO capital of America, so they say. So twice the number of extraterrestrial encounters recorded in Florida, which is next on the list, with seven thousand five hundred and thirteen for second overall in the United States, and. I would assume that that's total cases by New Fork over uh, – they've been doing that for a while, Uh, I believe since the 80s they've been taking cases. But you can go on their website. I believe they go back a lot farther than that and look at some historical cases uh, as well. Um, Washington State, 6,720, the third likeliest state to experience alien life, followed by Texas – And New York, which recorded 5,631 and 5,403 sightings, respectively. And, you know, I could stop right there and and point to the fact that California is number one in state population. So the highest number, well, I guess the highest number of people, or the highest number of high people, however you want to say it, uh, most with the highest population. California, by far. And uh, Florida is up in the top five as well. Uh, New York, which is also mentioned. Texas is up there as well in population. But what's weird is uh, Arizona is on that list with 4,604. Pennsylvania, 4,592. Ohio, 4,110. Illinois, not a... Not an outlier. They're pretty high up in population as well. 4,025 in Michigan. A little state bias there as Great Lakes. Stakes is is a Michigan-based website. Uh, 3,383. So it looks like some of this is based on the per capita. But uh, Arizona, don't know why it's so high other than they have, uh, there's a lot every year. It seems like every spring and fall. There's a flurry of sightings that have to do with people parachuting. Of course, there's a lot of sporting events out there as well. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, but where are you least likely to spot a UFO? Uh, you would expect the uh, states with smaller populations to appear here. And you're, uh, you're not wrong. North Dakota. South Dakota. 264 and 353 Respectively Since the records began So there's my answer um, Yeah Dakota It's not a, a good chance according to that Of course with the lower population Of course you're going to have Less reports Doesn't mean you have a lower uh, Chance I don't think they did per capita here I think if you looked at per capita That's probably almost in line with California Really um, I'll have to run the math on that. Uh, Delaware, again, very low on the list, uh, 373 sightings. Uh, you got Wyoming, 380, uh, Vermont, 559, you'd expect that, Rhode Island, 566. Uh, Alaska, of course, on that list as well, Hawaii. Nebraska, Mississippi, uh, round out the top, or I should say the lower 10, Mississippi with the most of that 10 with 732. Uh, you kind of expect that. The uh, states with the, the lower population. Let's get into ghosts. That's interesting. Never really looked into stats. And I've always said that I, I wish there were websites that tracked these kinds of things. That paranormal groups would, would uh, keep statistics on homes that they felt uh, we're not subjective. We're not uh, just photographic type of ghosts. But actual ghosts, uh, kind of uh, an ongoing thing here that were independently verified by other ghost groups that were trying to scrutinize it uh, so we could keep better track of where all these hauntings really are. Uh, so basically these are just stories that uh, are are topping in. And the number one state with these ghost stories, uh, 7,382 registered sightings belong to Texas. Um, California, of course, again, high up there in population, 6,973 belong to California. And Ohio, this is a pretty spooky place to be, 2,903. Michigan, 2,704. Again, a little bias there. Uh, Illinois, 2,529. And let's see. We also have Pennsylvania, Indiana, New York, Oklahoma, Virginia. And, uh, gosh, Um, Massachusetts, you think, they say, with uh, the Salem Witch Trials. They're way down there. 1,409 sightings. And they do have another graphic that breaks down each state by how many UFO sightings, how many ghost sightings. And they add that together with sightings of the supernatural. And that, of course, gives you your odds. And so where, well, before we get to that, least likely to see a ghost. If you don't want to see a ghost, according to this, Delaware is the safest place. uh, Followed by Hawaii. Sounds like really good. I think you'd be. So enthralled with what you're seeing, you wouldn't really even see ghosts out there. Wyoming, another beautiful, picturesque location that's down there. Uh, then we get up to Vermont, Rhode Island, New Hampshire. And it kind of builds up. Nevada, Montana, North, North Dakota, and South Dakota. 420, North uh, Dakota had 403. So it seems like, the again, the lower population states least likely to see a ghost so what about the whole combined lowest and highest odds of seeing the supernatural so combined paranormal experiences of the population of each state into account they've revealed the areas across america with the highest and lowest chances of experiencing the supernatural so with all this in mind which is weird because we never even heard this state mentioned the number one state According to them, uh, taking population into account, the state with the highest chance of supernatural sightings, supernatural sightings is Maine. Maine. Never would have thought that. Uh, Vermont. Followed by Montana, Alaska, Wyoming. And uh, let's see, New Mexico, Washington, Oregon. Oregon round out that uh, top, well, odds uh, below 100,000. So least likely to see the supernatural. Well, Louisiana, I don't know if I would agree with that. Uh, but they have the massive odds there in Louisiana. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, Georgia, New York, I guess numbers don't lie, right? Statistics don't lie. Well, they kind of do sometimes. Uh, Maryland, Florida, New Jersey, Texas. So I, I guess high populations. Uh, this is true. The more people you have, the you should have high reports. But it's uh, I don't think people realize how many people live in California and some of these states – Uh, Extreme odds also include Mississippi, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, Delaware. So uh, obviously the chances of seeing these are are really slim. Actually a lot slimmer than what we think. Uh, But based on these websites, you think it's pretty common. But uh, really weird to see a a paranormal news story coming from a betting website. But uh, pretty cool nonetheless. And see, question: Where is New York? Uh, New York's on there somewhere. I think they're right in the middle. Where is New York? Mexico, Maine. Why am I not seeing them? On that list somewhere. Joe, they're down towards the. Well, they're down towards the bottom. So the third, third worst state overall. Crazy. I don't know. I'd agree with that. Uh, There's a lot of, well, I I don't know. Would you add in, uh, what if we add in encrypted creatures? Maybe that would uh, change the odds a little bit. I think uh, New York's got quite a few Bigfoot sightings. Uh, That would change the odds a little bit. Might even bump Ohio up there, too, at the number of Bigfoot sightings. We're in the top five. But uh, probably push Washington up there a little higher. I don't know about Maine. But you got Lauren Coleman up there, maybe would cement Maine at the number one spot overall. Of course. Uh, anyway, that's the show for this week, and uh, just a uh, a little bit of a show show news. Next week, I'll be off, so no show next week. So uh, count on two weeks from now. We're gonna have a uh, quite. The big show, the best of the best, the next two weeks there we'll be talking about in the paranormal news. But for now, get some rest, get some sleep, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.